And welcome to another episode of Two Nobodies. This is I, Kyle, the lesser, dumber of the two nobodies, less attractive of the two nobodies, taller of the two nobodies, for oh, sure. For sure. Um, and, as always, the one constant in all these episodes, the one thing you can always count on is the foremost nobody, Rupesh, is going to be here. Rupesh, buddy, how you doing? Pretty good. I, I don't... I don't want to miss an episode. Like I feel like I'm on a streak now, and uh, you, yeah, you've been. If we have, and we don't know what what number of episode this is. We were just talking about it. Let's say it's 37. I don't know. You you've been in all of them, and you've been, and for probably 20 of those, it's just you. Probably more than that. Well, I don't, I'm not sure, but it's been just you. So you're you're sort of the the patriarch of this, if if you will. Certainly a pillar in the Two Nobodies podcast community. Out of the, um, out of the two pillars, I'm one of the pillars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just leave and you just have to figure out how that works. Um, but yeah, no, you'd have to, if we do 100 episodes, you got to be in all of them. Um, yeah, I don't know how we, I don't know how we would proceed otherwise. It would let the fan, it would let the millions of people watching at home down if Repesh wasn't part of an episode. If my voice, just my sultry voice wasn't on the, on the recording. Yeah, you got a little bit of smolder. You got a little bit of smolder in that voice. Uh, and a, I've know, been working on that. I've been, well, the sweater. I've been working on The sweater's that, working. Uh, the sweater, yeah. No, I got this for it's Christmas. Good. It feels really good. It feels like it it, yeah. it fits the voice. <laughs> what do you mean you've been working on it? How, like, well, I've been you working work on, on the your... voice outside of the podcast, you know. How? I, I haven't actually been doing me, that. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Unique New York. Uh, I, honestly, you can tell, like, people... Like there are some people who just have the most wonderful voices, like David Attenborough, you know. But even guys like oh. like Morgan Freeman or um, Paul Newman. Man, so my son's super into the Cars movies, mm. Cars one and three. I don't know what they were doing with Cars two. That movie is insane. But one and three, good. Uh, Paul Newman's in the first one. Uh, he passed mm. away after they filmed the first one. He has got a voice like that. Like if I could have like an old man voice, everybody check out Cars one. If you're not up on your Pixar animated films, you know, early 2000s. It's like a 2006 movie about a race car, Lightning McQueen, super selfish, doesn't need his pit crew. One day he gets lost, finds himself in a small town, learns about friendship. And Paul Newman's part of that. Paul Newman has a great voice. So I don't know if I just need to like drink and smoke cigarettes and <laughs> live a bit of a hard life here. And then I'm, and then I'll have just a dynamite voice, but I would love to have one of those sort of smoldering, old man voices is that the voice you think that you would if you could rejig your your vocal cords to have a voice would that be the voice maybe james Earl jones has a great voice um mm. morgan freeman has a wonderful yes. voice um, i love sean connery's voice sean connery's good too yeah he's good yeah. but it's got that scottish accent yeah um welcome to the rock remember that movie, that movie that's was pretty so good, good. Uh, that's one of my favorite that's my, one of my favorite action movies actually uh, the best scene in that movie is when they have the the like missile and they're like take out all the super <laughs> poisonous <laughs> balls like the super and uh, it's like one of the final fight scenes and yeah. uh, Nicolas Cage is, is just getting his ass kicked and he like reaches over and grabs one of the super poisonous balls and puts it puts in the it guy's in mouth, mouth and yeah. punches him yeah and then he's got to do like the 
just to like yeah do the put the, the needle into his heart like right into his heart so yeah. sick god like 15 yeah. year old me i was like this is the great like how is this not sweeping the oscars this is the greatest movie of all time um, i probably watched that movie like 10 12 times love that movie oh it's so good i, yeah. I would like to, have you watched it recently like does it hold up i haven't watched probably in like six seven years but i think i would still love it yeah i, I, should, I haven't watched it for probably 20 years i should probably watch it again because mm. i uh, i remember loving it but i'm also worried i remember i watched the, the live action ninja turtles movie when i was a kid it was like mm. seven and like ninja turtles was my world and i watched that movie and i was like this is amazing cinema mm. i watched it again like five years ago that movie is awful it is really really <laughs> bad so i sort of wish i hadn't watched it again i just sort of could have held it in high regard for for all time um, did you see anyway. the live action disney ones like for example lion king and aladdin recently no why would i like, like the animated are, are so good like like the animated are perfect like Lion King, I think like, I think everybody sort of has the, the, that one Disney movie that was, you know, mm. the movie when they were a kid. I think for me, it was probably Lion King or maybe Aladdin. It was Lion King and Aladdin. Yeah, um, I'm with you. And and those movies were perfect. As it's like, why? I don't know why they had to go back and do the live action ones. I mean, I understand why they did it because they wanted to make money. But sure, it's just the first ones are man, perfect. I, did was pretty, I thought Aladdin Aladdin was pretty good. I mean, um, Will Smith did an amazing job. I mean, Robin Williams to even touch that character of the genie yeah. is in and he he acknowledges that. He said like apparently when he first um got asked to do it, he's like, No, I'm not doing that. Like that he Robin Williams perfected that role. Like, I'm not touching that. And mm. then but then he put his own spin on it. He added you know, his his musicality to that role and he mm. really owned it in a different way. Like I thought he was an awesome genie. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and then the Lion King, I know that uh Who they, was in the like the live action one? Who was in the Lion King? Live well so one. so lot of lot of the original uh voices were white actors, right? And so they had mm. they um in in the live action they had a lot of african-american actors is my understanding who did a lot of voiceovers uh. um and so i think it it just um they made it more culturally authentic i think um okay. compared to before but they did the animation is incredible like so good interesting it it, it, it that one though um i still did like the cartoon over but the aladdin one um, you, I don't know. You, I, yeah. Are you about to say that you think live action Aladdin is better than animated Aladdin? I think it's up there for sure. I, Man, I actually really, really is... enjoyed it. And I think because, um, maybe it's just bias. I, I love Will Smith and I love Robin Williams. And I think they each did their own thing, but th those two made Aladdin, right? Like both the, the animated and the live right, action. For sure in the animated. And so that, sure. and that's why, that's why I kind of hold I kind of hold the two kind of equal. And, and then if you go back to the cartoon version of Aladdin, like there's a lot of um, misogyny in, in those, and as there is with some of the old Disney movies anyways. And oh, so yeah. they address some of those things in the live action, uh, whether it be Jasmine's character or whatnot. So um, not that I was necessarily like, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I went to go see it, but I'm just saying it just has, it's, um, you know, a better taste now, right? So interesting. Okay, well, I'll have to check it out because that's a bold statement. That's a very bold statement. I think you'll like um, it. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll like it. You just have to have an open mind that it's it's not Robin Williams. It's not the 
animated, but uh, Will, Will does an awesome job. Yeah, speaking of, all right, so I have two points to make. Uh, did you know that Will Smith turned down a role in a, a leading role in The Matrix? I heard about so, that. He... So they approached Will Smith to be Neo, which is, mm-hmm. which is uh, Keanu Reeves' character, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and he turned it down to do Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> Wild which Wild is, West. I mean, and and like he makes fun of himself uh, <laughs> as he should. That's an awful decision. But I wonder how because and I've also really admired Will Smith. Um, I love those Bad Boys movies, and he was really good in like Pursuit of Happiness, and like he's done a lot of great things. He's done some not so great mm-hmm. things too, but he's done a lot of great things, and even like. Fresh Prince of Bel Air was a big part of my childhood. I used to love that Huge. show. Yeah. Um, but he even says he's like, if I had taken that role, that movie wouldn't be what it was. Mm. Like it, like you know, the casting that that they ended up with was perfect. Mm. So uh, that was super interesting. Second point, um, I just watched Goodwill Hunting uh, for the second time. I, I watched it the first time probably fifteen years ago. That's that's probably Robin Williams' greatest role. Is he's so good in that movie. Yeah, that movie's good. And that was I watched it I watched it once and I yes, I do remember him being incredibly well oh, like it was man, incredibly well a, done. And that was yeah. like it's like Matt Damon and like Ben Affleck wrote that movie. And like that was their first They got joint Oscars on that, I think, on Goodwill yeah, Hunting. Yeah, and like yeah. that was their first thing that they did in Hollywood, I think, was that movie. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Insane. Yeah. Um anyways, so there's your two nobodies at the movies chat which we should do that well, more that's we fun. should do that more will smith uh the I, I do appreciate all his biopics that he's done like the um ali like he just did that ali and then obviously pursuit of happiness and then the one on the concussion um, i didn't see that one uh was one of the concussions yeah you haven't seen that one well because i know that i i pay a lot of attention to that sphere um yeah. Uh, that's so what I'm surprised, I, I guess. Well, no, because I I know that story. I I knew oh, that okay. story before they made a movie about it, just okay. because I okay. I've been following all the stuff that had been happening with CTE and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Um, so I I haven't seen that. I probably should, but I sort of knew a lot about it before the 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 movie came out. So I thought, ah, I already know what it is. But, yeah. So maybe from that perspective, um, yeah, maybe it wouldn't have been so novel for you. For me, it was like I I didn't really follow that story at all and. Um, but he did a great job at playing that the 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 lead person there, and then um, the one recently, um, King. What is it called? Oh, I just saw it. Uh, King Richard. Is it Richard? King Richard? It's about the Thank Williams. Yes, sisters, I just saw right? it. Yes, yes. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, you watched and it? I watched it. Yeah, Michelle and I went to the theaters, which was oh. our first theater movie. We went there in November, and that was an experience just to go to the theaters. Uh, it was just odd, but was you get it? to choose your own seat and everything like that. So you really felt safe and there's only like six people in the theater. So mm. it was uh, nice to just have it to yourself. But uh, yeah, King Richard, amazing. He, uh, he said that Serena and, and Venus didn't want to endorse the movie until they actually saw it, like when it was completed. So he said that during the screening, he said it was one of the worst two hours of his life because he didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And by the end of the movie, they were just in tears and they loved it. And so, I mean, that speaks to how they said that he nailed the voice and all this kind of stuff. It sounds like though King, like, like Richard was very much kind of glorified in the movie. And that's the criticism of that, Mm. of that, like he kind of maybe wasn't a really great guy, but I was just going to ask you, the story is still fantastic though. Like, do they paint him as, as like a 
full human? Like, do they or do they sort of lionize him a little bit? Like, is he flawed? No, they they, they show his flaws for sure. Hundred percent, mm-hmm. they show his flaws. Um, the criticism is that um, his so the the Williams sisters were kind of his second family, and they don't really talk about his previous history that he had this whole other family that he had fathered and um, didn't support apparently. So if you read up uh-huh. on that. Um, he, um, yeah, he wasn't a good father to his first family. And so, um, that's the part that's left out, um, and under, maybe understandably so, but uh, as far as him being a dad to the Williams sisters, yeah, it shows his flaws. It shows, shows this really interesting moment that if, if it would, were to have happened, the course of that family would have been completely different. So there's like, there's these kind of movements that are really heart and gut wrenching. Um, uh, so if you haven't seen it totally go and see yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, that, that's uh, I have a few movies that are on my docket that I'd like to see, and that's one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. I've been watching many movies lately, but I I have a list, a growing list. What was the mm-hmm. what was the movie? Uh, so before November, when you went back to the theaters, what was the movie that you saw in theaters last? I think like it was Aladdin. probably twenty. Okay, I think it was All Aladdin. Right. Yeah, Aladdin or the no, it was The Lion King because Aladdin. Aladdin Lion King came, the live actions came out the same year, which I was really perplexed about because if you remember those Disney movies, they always would release them one a year, right? Because it was so much buildup for like the blockbuster Mm -hmm. Disney animated movie. And they decided to release Aladdin and Lion King in the same year, which I didn't understand uh, because those are two of the biggest Disney animated movies maybe of all time, right? Yeah, no doubt. So, so to have the live action released in the same year is weird. So I, I'm pretty sure we saw Aladdin like May, and then um, Lion King in the summer, and and then I don't I don't think we saw any movies after that. So yeah, right, fair enough. Yeah, I was I was yeah. trying to think the other day what the last movie I saw because I haven't been to the theater since the pandemic started, mm. which I love theaters. I, it's so fun going mm. to movies. And I was trying to think. My dad and I went and saw. So my dad's a big um, Blade Runner fan. Mm. So him and I, so when Blade Runner 2049 came out, um, him and I went to my parents' house, which is about an hour away, and we watched the first Blade Runner with, with Harrison Ford from 19-whatever-it-was, 80-something. And then we went to the theater and watched Blade Runner 2049. It was awesome. Hey, that movie's awesome. Both those movies are awesome. Uh, and it was just like this super fun thing that my dad and I did, so that was super sweet. So that might have been it. Or we went and saw uh, Knives Out, I think, with Daniel Craig, which maybe would have been been around the, the same time. Um, it was like a murder mystery. Uh, that was also great. Really good. Um, but I miss it. I'm excited to go back to the theater. And I was going to go back to the theater to watch uh, the new James Bond movie. Right. Yeah. I love, love You're missing a fan. James Bond. Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially like Daniel Craig, James Bond. He's the best James Bond has ever Wow. Is he? Sorry. You think so? Uh, well, I do. But I, you know what? I haven't watched... Mm you know, one of every James Bond, but, mm. um, yeah, I think he's the best. He's so good. Anyways, thought I wasn't going to see that one, but I never got around to it. So, and then Dune would have been good too. Dune is like, cause that's, uh, Danny Villeneuve and he's all about like, you know, building these huge like soundscapes and like atmospheres and worlds and mm. he's been great at it. He's also Canadian. So that'd have been a good one to see, but I uh, didn't go see that either. Anyways, so I'd I like wonder to how theater, movie theaters but... are gonna like do coming out of this pandemic, especially because like Amazon Prime and Netflix are like they like think about how much of an advantage they probably had in this space right now oh, or this yeah. time, right? Like just because yeah. uh, everyone's relying on them for content um, mm-hmm. that they can, they are obviously creating their own movies, 
those movies are not going to go in movie theaters, I don't think, right? So yeah. they've started now, though, because oh. like before, if you, um, like before, there was a lot of movie releases that were just straight to Netflix or like straight to a streaming service or you know whatever. Mm. Now a lot of the new movies that are coming out, they're releasing to theaters again. And then after theaters, then they're coming to a streaming service or they'll be in theaters for like two weeks and then they'll come to streaming services. So I feel like they're really trying to, cause I imagine that the, that the, that the movie studios make much more money through their box office than they would through whatever Netflix Probably. pays them. Yeah. So I've, it, it seems like, like when I see a trailer, I'm like, Oh, like this looks like an interesting movie. I'd like to see it. Where can I stream it? A lot of them now are only in theaters until X amount of time. So I wonder if that's starting to ramp up again. After I was thinking about those movies though that are produced and created by Netflix. Or, oh, yes, so yes, so you yes, think yes, about like totally. Don't Look Up or or what's the one that came out the actual one with the Rock that uh, read something? Apparently, Netflix spent the most amount of money on this movie. Like so, they're like really uh, producing and put a lot of money be, be, behind these movies, and they're hu- largely successful. Um, right. So if Netflix and Amazon continue to do that, does it eat up? territory on those sure. other studios who only have access to movie theaters right for sure for um, sure especially yeah. if they're producing amazing content so and it's so convenient to not go to the yeah. theater like i love yeah. the theater experience it's great but i also love you know just farting in my sweatpants on my couch watching mm. something and then going to bed two minutes after it's over yeah like I, and also you know paying 14 months or sorry 14 bucks for the whole month as opposed to 40 for a movie yeah. Um, no, there's a lot of arguments for streaming services for sure. And I worry about that too, with just life in general coming out of the pandemic. Like, you know, like going to a hockey game versus just watching it at home and mm. all the rigmarole now that it takes to like go to hockey games versus, which is, I haven't dealt with crowds. I haven't dealt with lines. Mm. I haven't dealt with anything. And I'm talking like the pandemic's over. It's not. It's in full swing. It's as bad as it's ever been. Mm. So I'm not, so I'm not going to get any more comfortable. But, you know, if you think about, well, if we ever get to a place where we're all comfortable with COVID and a hockey game is an option, or I can just sit at home and watch it, I don't know. I wonder if I'll be, uh, I wonder if I'm getting lazy. Like, I wonder if I'll just be like, yeah, it would be fun to be there, but I can watch it at home. Um, I don't know. Like, I wonder how much that will impact my, my, my willingness or my desire to be out and about amongst crowds and just sort of that mental shift that it'll take to get back involved in what life used to look like or whatever post pandemic however close it gets to what it used to look like yeah i'm know, sure man. that i'm sure that mental shift is gonna uh it, it's probably gonna take some time for it to happen but there's no like the experience of a live event is very different yeah. very unique and 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 even though yeah you don't have always the the best view sometimes and sometimes it's just better to watch things on screen it's just nothing we actually uh my mother-in-law bought us tickets to go see the Harlem Globetrotters when they came to Edmonton cool. uh, three, three weeks ago. And so to be at Rogers place, uh, here in Edmonton, uh, to, to be in front of a live crowd. Like I, I, we, here in Edmonton, we have the, the, the sort of, um, the vaccine passports or where, where they check everyone's vaccine information. So you knew that everyone was going, who went in there, was vaccinated so it makes you maybe feel a little bit comfortable but still with mm. omicron it's you're still spreading it even if you have the vaccine right so yeah. just being in a large crowd we're all sitting beside each other there's probably ten thousand people in the building right it was it was our first event like that you kind of felt a little nervous and 
but it was fun. It was nice to be amongst other people and to watch Good. a live event. And and it was um, once once we kind of got eased into it, it was it was enjoyable. So we're we're supposed to be going to an Oilers game um, when my in laws come at the end of the month. We're supposed to be going to the Oilers Canadians game. So uh, I don't know what that I don't know what that looks like. Hopefully that still happens, but that would be a prime game to go to for sure. So so I'm excited to to just experience those live events. I think for me I'm I'm kind of there. I'm 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 tired. I'm done. I got my booster. I'm I mean I I'm healthy myself, and um, it's always been for me really about my daughter and mm-hmm. and just I know generally kids have been okay, and even if they got COVID. Um, you don't hear these, you don't really hear tragic cases for the most part. Um, but that's always been my fears cause she yeah. is not vaccinated. And, uh, so yeah, but for me, I, I'm, I'm kind of ready to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that for sure. I was looking at, uh, there's a couple of bands that I've been really into the last year. Um, and they're coming to town and I really would love to see them uh, as my voice cracks. I would love to see mm-hmm. them. Um, but it would, you know, it's, it would be, it, I mean, they, they're like punk bands. So it's like a small venues that are, you know, usually pretty packed and, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with folks or whatever. And, um, but I really want to go cause I think it'd be a fun show, mm-hmm. but I sort of wrestle with, well, is it, it's a risk and is it a, is it a risk? And I, I, I'm the same as you, if I didn't have kids, I probably wouldn't be thinking twice about it because I'm, you know, vaccinated mm-hmm. and boosted and, um, yeah, so I feel pretty good about that. And I'm, you know, I, I don't have any of the a main comorbidities or any comorbidities I, that I am aware of that, you know, would, would impact my ability to sort of handle an, an infection and strange things have happened, but I, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable with that. But with kids though, you're like, well, I, I don't want to bring it home. I don't want to put my kids through mm-hmm. that and all that stuff. But part of me is it's like, I also started, want to start living my life a little bit and see, you know, see things that are exciting. And, and I, I think about too, like the last couple of years, it's been really hard. And I think about the memories like we've canceled, like we would have tentative plans and then somebody would have a runny nose or somebody wouldn't be mm-hmm. feeling well or whatever it was. So we would cancel at the last minute. And, we, and we've done that, you know, more in the last few years than we've ever done in our lives. And you, and it was a responsible thing to do and it was the prudent thing to do. And I, I, you know, I don't regret it, but, but you think about, well, what, what would those memories have been like if we would have gone and you said, I feel like we're sort of, you know, stacking up or uh, collecting, you know, sort of lost opportunities for, closeness with friendships and i feel like some of my friendships have sort of suffered too because we haven't been able to see people as much as we want mm-hmm. and, you know like these video chats are great that, that that you can do on your phone or on your computer but it's mm-hmm. just not the same right and so i i sort of worry about not being able to connect with friends and if we you know if there is a mental shift coming out of the pandemic and it impacts you know like your willingness to go see friends and family and your long-term relationships with those people that you love suffer, that sucks too. So it's, it's sort of this balance, right? Like, you know, that's, it's safety of family and, and, you know, that should be absolutely paramount, but it's also now starting to think about, well, with Omicron, it seems like this is maybe just something that we're going to be living with forever. And we have to start living our lives a little bit, but that's an easy thing for me to say. It's a tough thing for me to do. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a real weird uh, mental space that I'm in right now with, you know, dealing with the risk associated versus wanting mm-hmm. to do interesting things and make memories with people I love again. I think throughout this whole pandemic, the conversation's always been about risk reward, right? And for me, 
before the vaccine, it was always risky. It wasn't it, like to, to go and socialize and go and see people um, to feel that reward. The risk far outweighed that. As I went through vaccines, that started to shift a little bit, but still the risk was still there. Now, I, I don't know. I think that um, I, I don't know if I could say that I'm suffering from loneliness, but certainly there's a there's an element of that for sure for me. And there's the risk of um, I, I do pretty good self care, so I wouldn't say like my mental health is like at a, at a like in a really low place. But I think the risks of all these things that you just spoke about now um, outweigh. Um, you know, if you were to say those are the rewards, they far they they're starting to outweigh that risk now of mm. of catching COVID and having to deal with that. So for me, that balance is shifting, and it's it's I feel like it's shifting really quickly, and and we're seeing that right. We're seeing that for from so so many people, and and it's not just frustration on one element of the spectrum, whether your political ideologies are right or left. I think everyone's frustrated, and we're all just kind of handling it in our own ways. But I think it's uh, people are getting real, starting to get real tired yeah. of this. And and we're seeing this, right? Like with with this, with this, you know, convoy that we're seeing here in Canada, going oh, man, across that's... the country and 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 um, going to different capitals and in the various provinces and in Ottawa. You know, I think the the original element of that, the frustration, maybe was warranted, and now it's kind of the message has probably been lost. And obviously, the original intent was the freedoms piece and and government entrenching on their freedoms to to get vaccinated or not. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, a, I don't know that I know the the sort of rationale behind it that well, and I don't think I understand it. Um, you know, like free speech is good, and like the right to protest and all that stuff. You know, that's that's you know, those are part of being. A fundamental, right? uh, yeah, totally right. Let, like you know, I support democracy, and that needs to happen. But it it, it almost feels like because you know, from what I understand, it was the um, there are truck drivers who like thank you, truck drivers, right? Like like we'd be just so fucked without them, um, you know. And they're um, hauling all our goods, and you know, we'd be just in such a bad place without those transport services and the hard work they do. And so you hate to impinge on their ability to do things. But from from what I understand is. Uh, so, uh, so the federal government put in certain restrictions or, or uh, mandates on on truck drivers, um, requiring them that if they aren't vaccinated, that there'd be a two week quarantine period when they came back in the country mm -hmm. from the United States or something. And so they they put in some requirements around vaccinations. But from what I read, like ninety percent of truckers that are crossing the mm -hmm. border are already vaccinated, mm -hmm. and so it's just a non issue for them. Um, and also, there are similar requirements on the other side of the border. So. Like right. this isn't a Canada only thing. Mm. So, and I'm, I probably don't understand the issue hundred percent. So I, if, if all of that is true, so it's 10% of truckers who don't want to get, you know, who, who don't want to get vaccinated and, and sort of this impinges on their rights to infringes, impinges, infringes on their rights to, Fringes, yeah. to, to do that, uh, to, to do their job. Okay. Maybe there's a bit of a case there, but I also wonder, um, I have a buddy who's, who um he has a job where he is constantly procuring truck drivers and transportation services and he said that the industry right now is so busy particularly within canada that he can't find truck drivers he, he can't find mm. transportation services sometimes mm. and so if 
and whatever, you know, uh, that's an anecdotal piece, right? Like, like that's a single piece of, of evidence or, uh, you know, it's a story, so it doesn't paint all pictures, certainly, but, you know, it, it sounds like there's no shortage of, of work to be had within Canada. And if 90% of truck drivers are vaccinated and so if they're crossing the border, it's not an issue. I guess I, this almost feels like it was something that, that kind of came about for other people to sort of pile in on. And now it's really turned into this really weird and sort of unhealthy. Like today in Edmonton, there's reports of like a farmer's market was attacked by a bunch of people really? that were supposedly at, yeah. And like, this is all on Reddit. So who knows if it's true, but somebody made a post that said, you know, there's people in here and they're being belligerent at this farmer's market and they're smashing windows or whatever. Could just be hoopla. I'm not saying it happened, but there are similar cases of like in Calgary, people were actively, uh, so people who were part of the convoy were actively blocking AHS services related to ambulance stations and stuff. So like, mm-hmm. that's not good. No, um, so it not. sort of turned into like this really messy and really ugly thing that feels like that at the start of it, maybe there was a good intent, but now, and like there was swastika flags at a couple of them. Yep. It's just like, yep. it feels like people have sort of piggybacked on this thing that maybe started as a, you know, mm-hmm. as a, you might, and I'm not saying it was reasonable, but started as a coherent at least standpoint and now it's just turned into this sort of piggyback thing that you could i mean this sounds sort of dismissive but it's, it just sort of makes you want to ignore it because you're like well i don't even know what this is about and 100%. there's some things here that yep. i really don't agree with and that i, I know, mm-hmm. like some of these behaviors are terrible and if i don't know so it's just really turned into a hot mess and i don't know so i i'm so confused by the whole thing and i don't get it and it if there was a good message at the start of it, then it's completely lost in anything that's happened. And people aren't, I don't know. I've, I've been just here what, what, like, what, um, what, what do you think about it? But I'm so lost in all of it. No, I, I agree with you. I think that even if you were somebody who really tried to understand the message behind this convoy and, and why it got started, you can't really, how do you do that at this point? Right? Yeah. You, you couldn't. Like, it, it's completely lost. As you said, there's all these other voices that are not um that are not offering they're not productive that are or 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 now very extremist elements as you described or have entered that and while those extremist elements may not represent the majority of those convoy you just you can't have a proper conversation about it right with those extremist voices in place i think mm-hmm. going back though if we were just to focus on the original intent if you're from the government standpoint i could see okay there, so so the risk of not having the mandatory vaccinations for truckers is that with anyone who isn't vaccinated, there is this potential of, of spreading the virus. And, um, you know, uh, if you if those truck drivers get sick, you now have issues clogging up hospitals. You now have truck drivers off the road. They can't really deliver goods. So there's a huge risk on that. And so the reward is is obviously the opposite. But I, but I kind of wonder on the, the, the big, the thing that the, the government is playing with, which I'm wondering if it's really necessary is that it's one thing to have, I think, public sector employees require that mandatory vaccination. Cause we are like, as public sector employees, you know, you're, you're, um, if that's, you know, if you require that vaccination, that's what you got to do, but to then actually have private citizens get the requirement to get vaccinated. I think you're, it's a, the argument always, I think is that slippery slope argument. And so if Mm -hmm. I was one of those truck drivers, or if I was thinking about individual freedoms, 
you first said that, okay, public sector employees have to get vaccinated. So now if you're following that slippery slope bargain, it's like, okay, well, what next? Well, now we're starting to see what next, right? Is that it's now encroaching into private citizens. Okay, so why do that? Well, because I want to, we want to protect the country. We want to ensure that there's not transmission across the border, that sort of thing. 90% of truck drivers have been vaccinated. Omicron is spreading regardless whether you're vaccinated or not. Is right, 10% of those truck drivers, are they actually going to cause an, a huge spike in Omicron cases? Omicron's here. Right. Like, so I think the logic doesn't necessarily hold entirely, which I think if you're trying to be purely logical about this, I'm not sure. I think there's the... a huge I think there's a huge risk now, like that you're now tampering with people's freedoms. Right. Like I, I, I get that part of it, like just yeah. that element of the argument. Right. I, I yeah, get that I, I mean, part I, I guess, why like, people I would be frustrated. Yeah, you know, you know, and um, I always, um, I always appreciate your ability to sort of see both sides of the argument. I'm not, I'm not good, I'm not quite as good at that as you are. So I always appreciate that. And I, yeah, and it's, I mean, I guess the one thing I don't totally agree with is I think yes, the main point of vaccinations, well, while we understand that you can transmit it with, with Omicron, I don't know that it's so much the transmission, but it's it's the severe outcomes that they want to avoid because those severe True. outcomes take up hospital beds for, for people yep. who maybe yep. could need them, right? So you want to avoid those. So that, I think that's for probably sure. the main argument. Because I think, yeah, we know, like, if you're vaccinated, you, you can still get Omicron. Absolutely, you can. And 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 um, you can still pass it on. And so I think that the big thing there is is just to sort of make sure that there are hospital beds available for people who need them with things that aren't avoidable. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that's one point. And the other thing, I mean... I think that there needs to be a space to have questions about vaccinations and mRNA technologies and all those things. I think there has to be a space for it. And people need to feel need to feel that they can say, hey, I'm hearing some things about these vaccines, like elevated mm -hmm. myocarditis rates in, in boys 12 to 19 or whatever it is. Uh, there's paper that, that that came out that said, you know, if you get the vaccine, vaccine, uh, there's chances that. You know, if you have a son who's in this age range, he has a higher chance of getting myocarditis than somebody who's outside of that age range with the vaccination. Now, if that age range gets COVID, they have a much higher uh, a risk mm -hmm. of, of getting myocarditis. Like that risk exceeds the vaccination risk. But I feel like that information isn't isn't disseminated in a way that's like like uh, super accessible and and super relatable and can sort of be communicated to a audience with various backgrounds and various understandings of the subject matter. And so that sucks. And so I, I, I will agree that there needs to be, we need to be able to ask these questions and not be labeled in, in one camp or the other, right? Like if I, mm -hmm. you know, generally speaking, me, you know, I, I am fine with the vaccine and I, I have it, you know, as soon as my kids can get it, they'll get it. You know, um, I am supportive of the vaccine. And so, you know, but there's also folks who might have some questions who are also supportive of vaccine, but they want to ask questions. And some groups of people might say, oh, well, you're asking questions about the vaccine like you're an anti-vaxxer. And they're like, no, I just like I just have some questions about this. It's a you know, and so I, I would love to be able to ask them and get answers. But where do you get that information from? And so that's like that space to have sort of those critical conversations around something for people that actually just want the information. Um, I think it's, we're in a time where, you know, you can't, it's difficult to have those kinds of conversations. And again, I'm all for the vaccine. You know, it's, I'm 
Um, but I just think that we need to have a space where we can have those conversations for people that that are a little worried about or are like worried for their kids or, you know, whatever, even though that there might not be any reason to be worried, just a way to sort of communicate that effectively. And actually one guy, there's this guy, uh, Dr. John Campbell. He's got a wonderful YouTube page where he, and he posts every day and what he, and like what the vast majority of his videos uh, that I've seen are, are here is a study that was just released. Here is where you can access it. It is in this journal. Here's what the main points are. Here's how they determined that. And here's what the conclusion is. And maybe as a medical professional, because he's a doctor, I think he's in the UK. This is generally what that means to me. This is how I'm interpreting it. And here's something, you know, here are some things that have been proven to help with, you know, if you do get COVID or here's why the mm -hmm. vaccine is a good idea. Here's some things that are associated with it. But, and, you know, he's vaccinated and he, but he's really, really good at sort of taking these complex pieces of information, scientific um, you know, that follow scientific um, uh, peer-reviewed um, peer scientific procedures, and he just breaks it down so an idiot like me can understand it. And it's it's just super helpful. But I don't that, – that information source is not something that's, like, readily available. Um, he gets, so, like, millions of views too, I think, right? I think, I think I've seen uh, him pop up. yeah, like yeah, he's pretty yeah. popular. I think he's become. Is he okay? Good, yeah. Then yeah, good because he because he should be, yeah. and he's like he's yeah. just he really to me an, an idiot. <laughs> seems like this sort of unbiased source of really good information that seems to be pretty reliable, and it. I feel like everybody just watched a video like that or had a source like that that they feel like they could trust. It would really help with that conversation because we and this happens everywhere. Like this happened like this polarization of ideas and tribes and whatever happens everywhere. And I'm guilty of it all the time. I'll write off somebody's mm. opinion because they associate themselves with something and that's not a healthy thing to do. I mean in certain circumstances, sure, but um so I I've been really trying to work on that and I find that yeah, and that these vaccination conversations sort of fall into that same thing. So two thoughts. First uh, in the time that I've gotten to know you and we have conversations, I always feel like you try to understand whether it be my perspective or other people's perspective and try to balance that with everything. So it's interesting to hear you say that you some would discount people or, or kind of, um, the way you described it. So that that's, uh, I, I just haven't necessarily seen it all the time. So, um, it's interesting you say that the second piece though, is with any technology, there's always an adoption curve. There's always, you know, you have early adopters and, and it's a small percentage. I think it's only like 16% or whatever that are early adopters. And then you start to have this exponential growth of adopters and you kind of hit a peak. You think about like this vaccine, that, that time window from like early adoption to like the peak has been so smushed in terms of the amount of time that we've yeah, had to adopt. This but the technology is not like, new, right? The technology is not new, but what I'm saying just like, the, I can I can appreciate just going back to your point about people wanting to ask questions about the vaccine. Sure. With anything new that comes and people haven't had a chance to really think about this, usually there's time to kind of to suss that out. And I get it. I and I, I and I and I want people to get vac vaccinated. I, I like you know I encourage people to do that. Um, but I have a spot for I have a spot in my mind where I have a lot of empathy for people who are asking these questions and who who are wanting to take their time and and do what's right for themselves, right? And I think that we need to have constructive conversations about vaccinations, about how they're safe, and and continue having these conversations and showing the data rather than having um, 
rather than having really forceful, aggressive conversations with people how they why they need to get vaccinated, which I think that's where, you know, it's going, where people feel forced that they have to do it rather than just encouraging people and making them aware that, you know, this is the, one of the most studied medicines on the planet, maybe in all of history. And all the data is showing really, really positive things, right? And that's the kind of message that we should be communicating rather than pigeonholing people into like, okay, if you're not getting the vaccination, you're the problem, right? Like, I, it just doesn't help. It doesn't yeah. put, it, putting people's backs up against the walls and saying that you're the problem, I don't think helps anything. Yeah. Right? The thing is, I, though, I like, really don't, people don't want to be the problem or the cause for some for people do, illness. though. Like, and like, that's sure. The other thing I'm, too. I'm, not talking, yeah. I'm not talking about those people. I'm yeah. talking, we're talking yeah, about yeah. the people who the people are who seriously thinking in, about these things. Yeah. And 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 I, and I suspect that's the majority of the people who are hope, yeah. maybe haven't got vaccinated. Of course, those extreme voices always drown out the the more sensical ones because they're loud and sometimes obnoxious. Oh, right? Like CNN but, and but Fox I'm, News and like yeah, what a problem that is, right? Like you can't because you're right because like there are people who, in good faith, who actually just want to learn, you know, to support their decisions. They're not following any agenda. They just want, how do I access like uh, this information? And even if, even if you access the peer reviewed articles, even if you can, you know, Google it and come across it, some like, I don't understand half that language. I don't know what it's saying. And so just that, that's whole like dissemination of good information, factual information that's been peer reviewed, understanding the peer reviewed process and why you need to like, why that is paramount, why that is, I don't know. It's just, and you know, I'm, I'm lucky because I was able to like get a BSc. So I, like, I have a degree. I, you know, I, I took all these courses. I was, it was drilled into me that this is why this is good. Here's how it works. And it's not some voodoo. It's not like some, it's just like, you know, Hey, I have a hypothesis. I want to test it. Here's exactly how I'm going mm. to do that. And I'm going to do that within this scientific community. Yeah. Okay. Let's do these, all these experiments. Yeah, we did. Great. Sounds good. Here's our conclusion. Put that out in the world. Have all the other scientists who care about this, read it and then critique it. Like it, it's just like this. And yeah, you know, that's a really stupid way of describing the process. But in general, like it's, it's not like this sort of magic voodoo system. You know, it's, it's this, it's a pretty straightforward in a basic way um and it's it's a wonderful methodology and sure it has flaws but like just understanding that's important understanding where you can get it but then also being able to have somebody communicate it to you clearly in like you know common language is important and that's just a real like that doesn't exist in super accessible media sources right now it just doesn't i don't think unless you know somewhere but that's what like this john campbell guy does like it's just so important to have those sources. I agree with you. And uh, although the other thing that compounds this problem is that even if you have these sources, trust in these sources and trust in our institutions is that like feels like at an all time low. Mm. So even whether it be our like government institutions, forget about it. It, it seems like governments have an uphill battle at trying to communicate um, what is the truth and what's not the truth because people are losing faith in government and these kind of traditional institutions. And now we can't even have a basic discussion on the basic facts of science, you know, anymore. Yeah. And so science is as an institution, if you were to 
even call it an institution is losing trust within society. Like how do you even have conversation? This is my, this is my biggest concern out of all of this Yeah, is that we as a society are losing faith in the things that we used to hold so dearly as sources of truth. And while there's still sources of truth, you and I work in the public sector when we know we all try to work towards the source of truth and, and do our job in an honorable way. It doesn't mean that the rest of society views our role or, or views government in the same way as it used to. And this is my biggest concern is, is the faith we have in our democratic institutions and now in science, like yeah. climate change, for instance, like we're, we're arguing, we're, we're, it's one thing to argue about um, having those debates, those scientific debates, but if we can't even come to a basic common understanding or agreement on the basic scientific facts, we have a problem in our society yeah. This is like what keeps me up at night. And these are the things that concern me for sure. Yeah. And I wonder if like, that's like, the bigger problem in all this to me. And I haven't looked at any data on this or anything. Like, I wonder if, if we're actually living in a time where like the faith in science is actually at an all time high, like, like, like the percent of the population that, that like actually believes in like the scientific process, and, like peer reviewed science and, and like good science is actually at an all time high, but because of the internet and social media and because of how TV coverage uh, is now um, sort of played out how the, how both sides if it's like with climate change like ninety eight percent of all climate scientists in the world say yep without a doubt this is a thing that's happening but there's two percent who say nope it's not happening um, but they get equal airtime and so and like that happens with a lot of issues because that's how you get mm -hmm. views like you want the sort of hot mm -hmm. you know topic you want the you know these um, Clickbait headlines. You want, you know, Bill O'Reilly yelling at somebody as loud as he can. And that's what mm. gets it. And so I wonder, I just, you know, and, and you and I have, have talked about Steven Pinker before, but um, mm. his book, uh, Enlightenment Now, really it's just, you know, he says, it, it, it just really shows you that like, this is the greatest time to be alive. And here's all these reasons why. And here's mm. what the, here's a sort of what the anecdotal, a narrative is around these things, but it's all bullshit because like, you know, and then he just has like 400 pages of, of data that says, you know, it's a pretty good time to be alive right now because of just about every way that you could possibly measure it. Um, and so I wonder if it's one of those things where like you and I are both worried about it when it's not really a problem, but the Facebooks of the mm -hmm. world and the CNNs and the Fox newses and the whatever, just play on this debate like it's an actual debate, when in reality, for the vast majority of the population, it is not a debate. Maybe. It's a really, really great point. No, no, I think it's a really, really great point. And I was thinking about that as you were saying that, because, you know, these louder voices drown things out, but how, how does it, is it actually having an effect on people's psyche and their behavior? I, I don't know. And, and that's where the data really comes into play. I mean, if you think about our province or even our country in terms of vaccination rates, we're, we're pretty high up there in terms of overall vaccination rates. Yet these voices, these loud voices suggest that maybe if you were to just, um, if you were to just listen to those loud voices and think, Oh man, Canada's vaccination rate is probably pretty low. Actually it's not right. And so you kind of wonder, are those voices or are these um, outlets that you speak of um, maybe they're not really having an effect, but um, it's just not, it's just not productive and constructive and, and, but then you also don't want to undermine it too, right? Because you see what happened with, with, uh, the former president and his movement and this whole big lie thing. And, and 
Um, he has a loud voice and he obviously has so many backers supporting it. And, you know, it is shifting. It's shifting politics in a huge way in yeah. the United States. Like, you, yeah. you like it's, it, I, I thought that maybe this was like after he was done and he continues this big lie that at some point, you know, people will just get over it. And, but no, Republican state legislatures are changing laws to impact voting rights and, and all kinds of stuff because of that election. Like it's serious, like institutional changes are happening because of some, because of some really loud voices. So, yeah. so I kind of balance these two things about like, okay, maybe it's not really making a difference and you can probably have some evidence to suggest that these loud voices are actually not really having a difference on the majority of people. But then you see these cases like what I just described and it actually is resulting in like, did you just, did you hear about the, what the Republican party just said about the January 6th attack on the Capitol? They said it was normal political discourse. The Republican party said that this was normal political discourse. Wasn't like it's, somebody it's shot standing that like like a whole party just like the uh, the a leading American party would say this about attack on their capital. This is normal political breaking and discourse. entering, right? Like and like people were shot and somebody died and like just this is this is normal. Like this is a I don't know. I also just read a book. Uh, it's called um, On Tyranny: Twenty Lessons from the Twentieth Century by a guy named. I think Timothy Snyder was his name. Uh, and it's basically just like people have faith in democratic institutions and the, and the, the permanence of democratic institutions, but history has shown that there's no such thing as a permanent democratic institution mm. and any democratic institution can be overthrown and lost to some dictator or to a tyrant mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so he kind of works through, you know, some examples in history of when that happened. And he focuses a lot on like Germany in the thirties. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. sort of scared me a little bit because there was, and he makes these linkages. He's like, here's the thing that happened with the last president. Here's the thing that happened in 1930 Germany. And I don't want to like make those, you know, that's a, um, I'm not saying that he was a Nazi that like Trump was a Nazi. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. what I am saying is like he, and you know, I'm also not saying that he doesn't, you know, he might have some characteristics that are also found in, in white supremacists. But what I am saying is like this guy wrote this book and he was just like, here's some things that happened and here's some things that happened. And there's some linkages here between these things. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just also makes you think that like, we probably shouldn't be taking democracy for granted. And we probably shouldn't be, you know, treating these things lightly because, you know, countries in the past have treated things like this lightly and it didn't end up well for them. And so he sort of, you know, so I've just made that statement about Steven Pinker and how good his book made me feel. This other book <laughs> sort of had me worried a little bit, <laughs> but just like, it's not like there is no, like, look at, I don't know, there there is no government um, that is, that is absolutely um, impenetrable or, you know, that, that is absolutely, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? that like cannot be undone and cannot be overcome and cannot be overtaken or changed or swayed in some They're significant way. They're talking about like way. a democratically elected government? Yeah, yeah. Like there's, okay. there's yeah. a ton of examples. obviously there's authoritarian, authoritarian governments that probably nothing's going to change, but... Well, but they do though. Like that's the thing. Like sometimes things change and it's, I'm not like, anyways, I don't know enough about this to be speaking, you know, 
to other people about it, but um, no government is is permanent, and you know, um, no government is impervious to change or to revolution or to whatever it is. And it's not like one day, you know, you, it, it just happens. It's not just like one day, you know, it's mm -hmm. the slow builds up. It's that whole, like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. frog in a, in a pot of water sort of thing where it just slowly gets hotter and the frog's dead. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways. And so this guy makes these linkages between like, you know, sort of like peaceful countries that turned not peaceful very mm -hmm. slowly through small acts and all this stuff. Um, well, we're seeing that. I don't know if you've been tracking anything in Eastern Europe. I mean, you were seeing those kind of changes like uh, where, you know, I don't know if it's right wing extremism that's kind of creeping up, but certain elements of that because it's been happening over a slow amount of time. People are not liking these changes. And now, you know, governments are getting toppled and you're seeing a big shift in, in, in governments. I mean, governments should it sh that should I think should it should always be the case that um, governments um are never this sort of static entity that's impenetrable, right? Like it, the government should ebb and flow and adapt to changing society and, and the will of their people. It should, I think governments who fail to do that are the ones that probably get toppled eventually. I think if those governments that are adaptive and understand citizens' needs and take them seriously, all voices are probably more likely to succeed. And so the, the I be I be I mean I'd be curious to hear Stephen Pinker's thoughts on if that book touches on democracy in any case and and how he views that and how he explains the evidence behind trends and all that kind of stuff um, and his views overall on that. But uh, I think as soon as government democratically elected governments in particular, but any government doesn't quite hear the voices of their people or chooses not to. Um, it becomes a problem and it might not, that problem, like you said, might not surface right away and it will surface and eventually it surfaces in a really aggressive way. And so even this, this trekker convoy thing, while it might not represent the majority of voices of can Canadians, which I'm sure it doesn't, I, you know, if you're the prime minister, I think that, I think that you still want to hear these voices, especially the core element of those voices, because there's something there, there's something that's pissing a lot of people off and and whether you agree with it or not, as soon as you discount those voices, as we talked about in the past, um, that's when some big changes can happen. And that's when mm -hmm. governments are not really seeing being reflective of the democratic will of their people. So what do you do to voices that when, aren't worth listening to? Like that's the and, and no, I know that. Well, I, like I said, I, I think those those voices that have clouded the original intent or the movement or whatever, they don't deserve. I don't think they deserve to necessarily be heard because their agendas are not necessarily probably the same agenda as the, if you just focus on the truckers, right? Um, but I think now it's become so big of a thing that if the prime minister went to go and dress this, it's, you know, it's done with at this point, That's right? So like there's messy. no, yeah. it's so messy, right? But I think in the beginning, if there could have been, um, I don't know, I, I, I obviously I'm not in that position. I don't know the behind the scenes, but I guess just broadly speaking, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, it's it's the same thing when they talked about the 2016 election, right? The Democrats pretty much ignored the Rust Belt states um, because they thought it was fully in the in their bag, right? That they would always be Democratic states. Wisconsin, Michigan, you know, all those states would always be theirs. Pennsylvania, 2016 happened. Trump went in there. He spoke to them. He 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 mm -hmm. heard their concerns. He spoke the words that they wanted to hear, and you know, Demo those those. Um, some of those were were 
people who voted for Obama in both of those two terms. And they switched to Trump because they felt that they were being heard and that the Democrats kind of just glanced over them. Yeah, right? I, I, and, I uh, actually, it might have been from you, but what, like one of the things, like one of the most common traits among Trump voters was that they felt that they were finally being heard or that they weren't being heard from previous administrations, which, I mean, you got to listen to that. Like that's a, like if you're, if your voters aren't feeling heard and it causes them to vote for the other party, which in the States, like has to be a pretty dramatic shift. Um, that's worth listening to. Certainly. Well, Obama, I think spoke uh, those people who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump, they felt like Obama was speaking to their cause and, 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 you know, blue collar workers and, and ensuring, you know, they, that Obama understood the problem and that they were losing their jobs overseas, all these kind of things. And it, it didn't seem like the Clinton campaign or, or, or just at that time that the Democrats were taking those voices seriously because they thought that there's no way they could lose those states. There's no way. Mm. And Trump went in there and surprised everybody and, and whether he delivered on that or not is a, you know, is a, is a discussion point, I suppose, suppose. Uh, but, um, you know, they got some of those, those votes back clearly to, for Biden to win. But um, I guess, again, just goes back to, you know, I never take any of those voices for granted, um, whether you agree with them or not. I think, especially if you're democratically elected, but even authoritarian governments, I kind of wonder about how long they're going to be able to hold at some point, especially in this day and age when information is traveling. And then you think about like, and I I still haven't wrapped my head around this. And I know we've talked about this briefly, but if we go into this web 3.0 and, and governments don't have very much control over, you know, blockchain networks and people are able to communicate a lot more freely without any government oversight, what is that going to do for authoritarian authoritarian? Oh, countries, so right? so exciting, man! Blockchain gets me all amped up. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know, I'm like the annoying guy who likes to talk about it because it's so interesting. I I don't know, and I, I'm not that well versed in it, but just as a concept, it's incredibly interesting. And I think it's like, mm. I think it's so. And I'm an idiot again. I always say this, but I think it's so obviously the future. Like if you look at, like so, like you know, so Google has massive, massive, like warehouses full of servers storing all of our data that we just give them for free. We give it to them for free. Mm -hmm. uh, and they use it to make billions and billions, trillions of dollars probably. Mm. Um, and all of that infrastructure, like in, uh, they have a warehouse full of servers in Oregon, I think, and they put it there because there was an old dam from some previous industrial facility that was there. And they use, they have a, they have this facility requires so much electricity and energy to mm. cool it down and to power it that it, it has its own fucking dam, <laughs> and it's a huge security breach because all all of that information is in one center. And I, and I'm not saying that like Google doesn't have its its firewalls up to date or it's like you know they probably pay for the Avast you know for the Avast <laughs> uh, anti uh, malware systems like they obviously have amazing like world class security systems right. But it's it's a massive risk. Where then you go to blockchain, there is no central server. There is no ability to hack that information, or there has yet to be one. Like to in order to disrupt one single aspect of of those blockchains, you need to be able to like reiterate every single block that comes after the one mm. that like you want to change. Mm. And it's just like it's insane that like it's the, the it's it's all decentralized. It cannot be regulated by a single body. 
Um, there, it, it, you know, it does have weaknesses here and there, but with every iteration, every blockchain that comes out, every new altcoin that comes out, it's all people trying to improve on this original Bitcoin blockchain. So like Ethereum, you know, you can do your apps and, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, their smart contracts capabilities and all these other ones are, are like building off of that. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, I think it's so obviously the future. Um, and you wonder, like, in the long term, because I was, uh, I had also just read this thing that said in the future, and like, you can do it now. Like, you can download a browser um, to your computer that you tell it exactly when to share your information and to who. And in certain capacities, you can actually earn um, certain, like, kinds of points and, and, and things. Like, I don't hmm. know, I don't know if it exists now where you can actually earn money on your data. But there are programs now that allow you to determine who you're going to give your data to and when and how you're going to be compensated for it. Mm. And that like, you know, the, that's on these blockchain networks. You mean? It's on, well, there's certain browsers like right now, like you can go and download. Uh, oh, like the Brave browser. Brave I think browser. Totally. Um, yeah. So yeah. You know, all I'm saying is like, it seems, you know, uh, based on the very limited research that I've done, that it seems like we're getting away from that centralized information storage warehouse that's used to make, you know, uh, companies just insane amounts of money that we give away for free that causes that or that like requires all these resources versus something like the blockchain where it's the exact opposite of all of that. And so at, and as we move away from that sort of centralized information that like, like there's also a movement now for us to be a little bit more in control of our information mm. and our data and how it's used. And we, and we now understand that actually our, our preferences, our data, our, um, our, our activities and our habits online, that's actually, um, it's a form of commodity that like we can be compensated mm-hmm. for because companies mm-hmm. make a ton of money. Like they want to know what mm-hmm. we're doing so they can influence, you know, a bunch of other things on the internet. And so mm-hmm. it seems like, like there's this massive shift away from it. Anyways, that's a long rambling things. And this is what happens when I get talking about this stuff because it's so interesting. But like, that's a massive shift away. And like, this is all decentralized. And um, so what does that mean? Like, what, like, how does that fit into all of this moving forward? 100%. I wonder about the threats, though, to <clears throat> to decentralized blockchains or, or this movement towards Web 3.01. And the obvious is just... How are governments going to react to this? What is their approach going to be? I mean, the um, Securities Commission in the United States has already indicated that uh, they're looking to propose some regulations or something on the whole crypto scene mm. and blockchain network. So we don't know what that's going to look like. So that's that's obviously one uh, big threat. The other piece is no question the amount of energy that's still needed to to mine and develop blockchain networks is still is massive. And so mm-hmm. until we make a shift to, you know, renewables and clean sources, it's a threat uh, that's still, you know, especially in parts of Asia where um, Bitcoin mining is happening or mining of any kind of coins is happening, still lar- largely the energy sources are dirty sources. So well, that's and, another threat. Yeah. And, like- and then, and then, and then the other, the other threat that I think, um, that I wonder about is, you know, right now Web 3.0 and blockchain networks are, the idea is very positive 
and with anything with anything that's being created, like social media, Facebook, all these social media apps. Originally, those those the Silicon yeah. Valley was there to create something positive, and everything goes to shit afterwards. And the, my concern with blockchain networks is obviously if it's decentralized, is how do you is whose hands does it get into? And you might not be able to track, obviously. I don't know. This is something maybe you have a better thought on, a better understanding of this. But like, how do you how do you track, you know, terrorist activities or or criminal activity or just people who use it for the worst of the worst things you could do in society or in life? Well, and like, and and if those things really creep into blockchain networks, I think that will put a lot of pressure on like, okay, what does this look like going forward? So, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Well, just I will agree with like like ransomware attacks where people like go into police station records and they freeze those records and they say, Hey, you need to pay us X amount of Bitcoin, or we're going to erase all of your records. And like these ransomware attacks are so sophisticated that entire governments, entire police forces, entire, like these massive institutions just end up paying the ransom because they can't figure out how to protect their, you know, their security or their files or whatever it is against these ransomware attacks. Oftentimes those ransomware attacks, they want to be, or the, the, um, the people who are administering those ransomware attacks want to be paid in some form of cryptocurrency because, because of the fact that it's, it's, uh, Mm. it's almost impossible to, to trace. Right. And so it has its issues from that standpoint, 100%. Also now from what I understand, what's happening is like people who are awarded, um, the mining capabilities for additional blocks on any blockchain, um, you're more likely to be rewarded because you have to basically solve an algorithm or an equation to Mm. be awarded that like you're basically proving up these equations, right? And the first computer to do that, um, from what I understand is the one who's awarded sort of that, that, that mining capability and the fraction of, of whatever the altcoin is, um, that they're paid in, in, in order to, to kind of prove up those transactions. Um, but so what happens is there's, there's entire massive centers now, particularly, uh, or, um, that are focused 100% on just mining. And there, it's not a guy who is interested in this stuff 15 years ago or 10 years ago with a computer in his basement that's dedicated to mining. It's massive centers full of servers that are all they do is mining, 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 mining. And so those guys are out competing sort of the smaller resource hobbyists or whatever. So it's even gotten to the point where like people, and I, I think that maybe that's specific to Bitcoin. I don't know about the other ones. It's probably mm. happening with those two, but um, the thing that I read was, was speaking about Bitcoin, it's already happening where, you know, people are, are, um, finding ways a little bit to, to sort of chip away at this decentralized open, open source, um, programs by throwing a bunch of money at this problem and sort of creating these mining, uh, centers. And, and so they're sort of already getting around, I think what the original intent was, um, you know, when, when the Bitcoin, um, white paper came out and who's the guy who mm. invented Bitcoin? Uh, nobody knows who he is, but his name is like Sat- no. Satoshi Nokomoto. Japanese. Yeah. Name. Anyways, like he had this yeah. intent and like this vision, right? And people are already taking advantage of it and like turning it into an industry when that probably was never the intent of it. So, mm. and how do you regulate it? I have no idea. I mean, I know when you buy cryptocurrency in Canada, you have to prove that you are you. So the government is, is aware that, that you are buying it, right? Like, you can't like you have to 
you have to provide information. Some like depending on the on the platform you use, like if you're using Coinbase or something, I think you have to actually send like you need to um, prove that you are you by taking a picture of your driver's license, and and then mm. they confirm that it's you, right? So it's you're on record mm. that like this account is tied to you, uh, mm. and now you have purchased and owned these owned these these altcoins or these coins. And so that's Canada. I don't know what the states does or what other countries do, but the government is, is fully aware that I own altcoins. Um, mm. And so I guess there's a way of doing it. Like you just make sure. But the thing is, I could I can take those coins, I can put them on a cold wallet that's not connected to anything, and I can do whatever I want with mm. them. And the government has no idea that I'm doing that. Um, so it's not perfect. But if you're going to buy them, the government is aware that you've bought them. And so maybe that's a like a sort of way to do it. But that also chips away at sort of the the anonymity that sort of goes along with these altcoins too. So I don't know. And I'm I'm so intrigued as to where this is going to go in 15 years. Is it all just going to go away? Or if Bitcoin is going to be worth a million dollars in 20 years? Or if it'll be this thing mm -hmm. where like, man, remember <laughs> blockchain? Like, what? Well, people are already having that conversation right now. They're like, you hear so many people are like, oh, if I would have invested $100 into Bitcoin, that would have been I so I well. have uh, I have some friends. Uh, this is a classic friend of a friend story, but um, uh, they're like the two smartest people I know. I worked for one of them for a while, and her partner is this other is this genius, and they're both just brilliant humans. Anyways, I was talking to them a while ago when I was working for one of them. Uh, I was talking to them, and he was explaining to me about. I'm like, this is probably twelve years ago. And he's explaining to me about like Bitcoin and how his buddy has like this computer set up in the corner of his basement and he's mining mm. Bitcoin. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking mm. about. And I saw him a couple of years later and he's like, yeah, that guy doesn't have to work anymore because he mm. like, and this was when Bitcoin was at $18,000. So it like went up to 18 mm. and then kind of dropped mm. down and it went up again. Now it's at mm. 45 or 50, whatever it is. 50 something thousand. Um, they're just like, yeah, he had like whatever it was, 500 Bitcoin. And he just doesn't have to work anymore. Like he's and he five hundred. No, yeah. well, really? Well, because if you just mine, like, because he's just like an early adapter. Man, the first Bitcoin transaction ever, somebody sold ten thousand Bitcoin for two pizzas. <laughs> so that that's like it. It, it was <laughs> like, like when it first came out, it was just this real niche thing that people were like sort of yeah. into. And oh, this is fun. I'll mine for Bitcoin. Oh, look at me, I have a thousand Bitcoin. Because yeah. I it, yeah. it it maxes out it. What like forty five million Bitcoin or something? Yeah, there's a cap somewhere. I don't know what. That Anyways, yeah. yeah. So this guy had hundreds of Bitcoin. He just doesn't have to work anymore. Um, just because he was like interested in this stuff twelve years ago or whatever it was. What was that like twenty five million dollars? Uh, like it's what twenty five hundred times fifty thousand dollars of yeah, Bitcoin. So add, like yeah, was so five times five is two is twenty five, and then add 20? two zeros on the end of it. So if it's fifty thousand, so one zero is. 500,000, another zero is 5 million times five, that's 25 million, right? That's yeah. just, 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 just a cool 25 million. And I, whatever, it was, yeah. a, it was a lot of Bitcoin. You know, there's was 100 or 500, yeah. I can't remember, but it was enough to make you go, mm -hmm. but now people like, yeah. even like people yeah. who would have bought Ethereum when it was 25 cents, or if you had bought uh, mm -hmm. Solana this time last mm -hmm. year, you, it's like, what is it now? 140 mm -hmm. or something like, yeah. So yeah. And, and now like everybody's whatever, like you're gonna buy Cardano or you're gonna buy um yeah, yeah. what's the other one, the bank transaction one? Doesn't matter. But like that's what it's become. Mm -hmm. People just 
buying a bunch of you know new mm-hmm. coins that have a bit of potential and hopefully it like takes off so one one question on this i always thought um with the blockchain network while it's the security is it, the security the reason why it's so secure is because uh part of it is the encryption and that like the way blocks are built off of each other and all that kind of stuff but i thought that it's it's there's some sort of ledger like if you if you par- purchase you know bitcoin or one of these coins there's a ledger you know who clearly like cuz you would have had to that there's a validation that happens right through the network through the blockchain network when a transaction occurs and so there's a clear like marker of your involvement on that blockchain so I, I is that not true and if that's true then then like wouldn't that help um like doesn't that go against perhaps um the tracking of criminal activity because then you would know <clears throat> there's an imprint of somebody on so the So I'm going to mess this up. If anybody's interested in this, MIT uh has a free uh blockchain course that you can audit online. So watch that and and trust what that thing says. And I've watched a couple of videos. From what I understand, when you make a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain, I'm not sure about the other ones, there is a public key and a private key. And so basically when you send the transaction, so I buy some from you, let's just say, and you say, yeah, I want to send Kyle, whatever, one one thousandth of a Bitcoin. The ledger uh, registers the transaction and it says, I'm sending this from Rupesh who you have a private key that nobody knows. And like a key is, is a code, just like, uh, a, it's, mm. you know, whatever. It's Encrypted a code. code. Right? Yeah. So, but like, just think yeah. of it as, as like numbers and letters. So mm. there's a private key and there's a public key. The public key is what goes on the ledger, but you need the private key to complete that transaction. And nobody can see that private key. And the private key proves that you are you basically. And so you have one and I have one. And so you would say in the ledger, and it, it, it all goes through, uh, there's a name for it, but it like goes through this machine that like, um, that constantly changes these numbers and like it compresses all the transactions down into like smaller numbers. But to get there, you take these massive mm-hmm. numbers and then kind of whittle them down through these transactions, right? So you have these private keys and public keys. On the ledger, the public keys are registered. So, so it can say it went from this public key to that public key. In order for that transaction to go through, though, you need to have your private key that matches that public key. But nobody knows mm-hmm. what that private key is other than you. You're the only person who, who knows what that private key is. So the public key helps keep trans, help keeps the transaction um, or helps register the transaction on the, on the Bitcoin registry, which from what I understand, anybody can go and download. Like it, it's actually a pretty small file because it's just all zero and mm-hmm. ones and shit. So um, mm-hmm. there are all kinds of computers all over the world who actually have the full Bitcoin blockchain key. Anyways, so I mm-hmm. get the transaction. I prove it's me with my private key. And based on the algorithm between the public and private key, it's like, boop, 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 boop. Here's the public key. Yep, it matches the private key. That transaction goes through. But all it's proving is that it's going from this public key to that public key. But but nobody knows but it's, who but owns it, that yeah, key. But, it, it, but the only person who can actually prove that that transaction is theirs is, is with the private key. But those numbers don't mean anything to a government. Like It's not like it says mm. Rupesh Patel sold Kyle Vaughn these things Uh, it's just like a it's just like two numbers basically and they and through these Mm. algorithms and transactions they can prove that they match 
but the numbers don't mean anything to anybody. My private key, I only mm. know it. The government doesn't know what, what my private key is. And the public there's key... There's no personal identity... There's no personal identifier attached to any of this. Not from what I understand, no. And again, people should go watch the MIT thing because that guy, is it's super interesting and he explains it in great detail and he'll be able to sort of tell you. But so it it Mm. helps it track it on the the ledger, but it doesn't prove who you are. And Mm. like you can, uh, like with a cold wallet, you can like take your coins, put it on a cold wallet. That's disconnected from everything. So it's actually just like a little USB stick. Uh, but it's not. It's like a super small computer, but it looks like a little USB stick. You can disconnect that from everything. And people, like, you could actually mm. go in person and buy Bitcoin from somebody if you both had cold wallets. And you could just do that transaction. And the the Bitcoin ledger would, would like, register that transaction. But, it, that like, there's no Kyle Vaughn or Rupesh Patel there. It's just public keys mm. and private keys. And that doesn't mean anything to mm. the government. Interesting. From what I understand. Okay. And, no, that's, and, and again, yeah. people should watch the MIT course because that's I'm, yeah. I, I'm very likely lying. <laughs> but No, uh, I, I mean, that uh, was a pretty thorough answer, so I'm sure there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Who knows? Very interesting. No, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, what time is it? Should we be wrapping um, this up? Oh, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That was a good chat. Um, yeah, I, it was. It, we were kind of all over the place with fascinating topics and the blockchain stuff. I'm definitely interested. I want to find somebody who we can talk to. And, and I, what I want to understand is sort of the vastness of web 3.0 and why this is transformational. What are the potential impacts of this and all that, that I have no idea about. And I, I am starting to do some reading on this, but I would love to talk to somebody. Yeah. I wonder who, who we could track down. We'll have to understand do some hard this, thinking yeah. on that one. Yeah, the experts yeah. yeah, buddy. Well, hey, thanks for the conversation. Always fun. These are my favorite episodes. The one where we don't have anything to talk about and we just go in and basically it's just us <laughs> catching up. And then we let people in on, or uh, folks on the internet in on the conversation. Um, so appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And uh, let's do this again soon. Yeah, appreciate you too, man. Take care. Bye. Bye.